It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that firmly believes anything worth doing is worth overdoing. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you gazelle of the Northern Plains, built for both speed and comfort. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, you know, hockey on the horizon. We just got back from the spring game. Finally got to see you in person for the first time in like eight months or something since you're back from the land of the lost. It feels good. I'm in a good place. It never disappoints, does it, seeing me in person? It really is a religious experience. It always lives up to the hype. Like I get there and I'm thinking it's not going to be that much. Like, you know, maybe it's slightly overrated. Then I see you and I'm like, we're back, baby. Uh, you're higher on me this year than I am, but uh, we've got a spring game to talk about, and we're both high on a lot of things, <laughs> low on a little bit of things, but uh, definitely learned a lot. It was great to see you. It was great to be in Ann Arbor. The weather held up for the most part. Uh, the product we will discuss in a minute was better than it has been in the past few years. We actually got a spring game, so first got to say thanks to that. Uh, but I wanted to to start with uh, our spring game discussion by asking you, what were your overall thoughts just in general of the spring game as a whole? Maybe the production of it, uh, maybe the turnout, just kind of your overall thoughts about the whole thing. And then we'll get into players and what we saw on the field. It felt like a return to normalcy. It felt good to be back out there in an atmosphere with 
no, no mention of COVID, no view of it anywhere. The team seemed to be having fun. Jim Harbaugh might have had more fun than any of the players just sitting there playing commissioner and head official. It was great to just watch the guys get after it, have some contact again, and it was just fun. Like it's, we can, We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of it and what you can glean from this and what you can't, but it was just fun to watch the players get out there, compete, and be able to walk into the big house for free and take it all in. I had fun. It looked like the players had fun as evidenced by some of the celebrations that they were rattling off. We got to see the limbo celebration. We had the phone tucked away in the goalpost after the Darius Clemens touchdown celebration. Um, we had I'm missing one. There was another like just absolutely absurd. Keg celebration. Stand. Oh, the keg stand, the keg stand celebration. Absolutely loved it. I mean, those guys were getting after it. It was like it was everything you would want to see in like a loose practice. But you actually went back to that game format, the blue versus the maze. And that was something that they had done in the past that we were huge fans of. That's what spawned our spring draft, uh, which just uh, to go off topic for a minute will be next week. We're going to do that again. Uh, a little bit different format, but for them going back to this, you know, one team versus the other team drafted up and put them out there. I think it's just more interesting for the viewers and it, it was a better product overall, at least on the field. Now I do have a couple criticisms of, uh, of the overall product, but I wanted to let you rebuttal. No, I, I understand why you're going to have some criticism. I think I know what some of them are, but all in all, it's just a good, enjoyable time to be in the big house, hang out with all, like, all your friends again, back in the environment, take it all in. So I'm interested to hear what some of your criticisms are. Uh, huge plus that it was free. So you can't really criticize anything that's free. I paid nothing to get in there. We got ourselves a hot dog, a donut, a hot chocolate. You know, it was it was a relatively affordable day. But my criticisms are mostly rooted in the fact that it was as early as it was in April, where generally these are a little bit later in April. The weather's a little bit better and it coincides with a lot of these recruits spring breaks. So the recruiting turnout, not as big as it is, has been in the past. And just like kind of the spectacle of it as compared to like how big of a spectacle the signing with the stars were and the, the barbecue at the big house has been in the past and how some of these spring games have been in the past. So it's a minor criticism. It's not a huge deal, but as far as like making this about recruiting and getting people excited about the big 10 champions getting back on the field, I think they could have made it a little bit more of a spectacle. That's fair. It very much so is. And you and I were sitting next to some of the recruits there, a section across all bite. But yeah, that, that is very fair. But I feel like this was really more like team centric and focused. And it's hard to always navigate like Michigan spring break with some of these schools spring break. So I get that. Although everything you said is still warranted. But, you know, it was really more about the players getting out there and cracking some helmets this time of the year, getting those getting those TJ guys out there to get some contact, getting the Davis Warrens to get some reps in. But although I do wish it could have helped recruiting just a touch more. Yeah. Um, and that would kind of be like my next my next concern based around this is like there's been a lot of signings recently in Michigan falling back into 14 in recruiting. They could have used this. They could have really used this as a springboard. Guys like five star Josh Connerly out of Washington, not present. 
Um, not a ton of guys present due to just the, the fact that it was so early. There were a lot of unofficials, though. Like you said, we were way up there right on the 50-yard line up front. So we saw that there were a lot of recruits on unofficials there but a smaller turnout for the officials. But that's my one knock, um, and it just kind of plays into the fact that recruiting looks a little suspect for me early on, but it is super early. It's way too – panic level is at a 3 out of 10. Yeah, panic level is super low. Like, it was just a a nice Saturday. Like you said, we got the donuts, although they were out of bratwurst. We still got some hot dogs in us. Had a good time hanging out, hit up the M-Den, and uh, yeah, man, it just felt good to be at the big house again and enjoy it this time of the year. It felt almost surreal. You mentioned something one time about shirt selection, and I'm like, well, you know it's April still. Like, we're not even in the season. You're like, you know what? You're right. Like, it felt like the season for a second, so we had to take a step back and kind of like reel in some of our joy and excitement and be like, okay, we still have plenty of time. Let's relax and just take this for what it is. Long time till September 3rd, and we're going to be back uh, hopefully a couple times this year for games, definitely for the Michigan State game. But just being back in the atmosphere, it was great. Um, Happy to be there. Now, let's talk about what we actually saw on the field. We're going to do it a little bit differently this year. We're going to do, since we didn't do our Academy Awards podcast that usually coincides with last season awards, we're going to do some spring game awards, award show style. You up for it? Let's do it. All right, brother. The first award that uh, award categories that we just uh, completely created off random off the top of our head. That's the way we do it here. It is out of the blue after all. The first award is the award for adjusted ceiling, meaning the guy that, uh, you know, you thought was going to be one thing. But after seeing him at the spring game, like, oh, boy, this could be somebody entirely different. This could be a real player here. Or somebody that you had a high ceiling for, and now you're really low on. Could go either way. So uh, who do you got for adjusted ceiling after watching the spring game? I want to dive right into my boy, Mikey Sainrestil. You and I talked about this heading into the game. Like, we want to see what he can do. We've heard tell he's been playing both ways, three phases of the games at times. Excuse me, and he was as advertised, if not better, was consistent on offense and blocking and receiving. Had an awesome pass breakup covering Andrell Anthony down the seam, which is no easy cover. Got his head around like a veteran. It just all of the Mike Mikey Sainer still hype was warranted, and I'm buying all of the stock, all of the shares. No one can have some. It's all mine. <laughs> well, hang on, sir. I, I I'd like some shares in Mikey Sainer still. <laughs> gonna get a get a poor peasant have some shares. I I I'm super into Mikey Sainer still. I think this is going to be a thing. I'll share with you, but like I'm very limited in who I'm going to hand out any life rafts to. Like you know, I planted my flag here a long time ago. You had to bear witness, so you know maybe I'll make an allowance just for you. This has been your dude for some time. He was your dude even as a receiver. You're talking about an all-time locker room guy, a guy that had no problem switching over to defense. And generally, switching from receiver to cornerback in your last year, you're like, oh, he's not going to get any touches on receiver, so they're just doing this to do it. But the way that he was used, the way that he looked on the field, the way he gets his head around, the way he sticks with his guy, Mikey Sainra still as a cornerback is definitely a thing. And how much more do you like a 5'11", 6-foot guy if he's a corner versus as a receiver? That immediately makes him a more useful guy, and his ball skills are going to make him useful, especially at the nickel. But he's not too undersized to be an outside boundary corner either, should he really, really develop this year. 
I'm high on it. I think that you're absolutely right. Uh, adjusted ceiling award goes to him. Uh, should have mentioned the other nominees. Colston Loveland, definitely an adjusted ceiling guy. Um, Mike Morris is a guy adjusted ceiling after looking at him. Kalel Mullings and, uh, and, and Darius Clemens all could. Oh, and Braden McGregor. Braden McGregor, another guy. Yeah, it was. I'd also like to add TJ Guy to this list. Like a whole bunch of defensive players could be nominated here, but you and I both, when we saw um, when we saw Mike Morris, it like took us back a second. We're like, oh, Mike Morris is huge this season. So yeah, that moving the ceiling. I understand what Harbaugh and everybody were saying now heading into this game. Okay, next award. This is the most likely to steal your girl award for the dude that might take your role or at the very least take some minutes. Uh, I've got three nominees for this one. First one being TJ Guy at linebacker played absolutely outstanding in this game. Definitely uh, a guy to keep your eye on. Kalel Mullings moving uh, from linebacker over to running back playing both ways. Potentially a threat to steal third string running back from Tavier Dunlap. Or the last guy there, Braden McGregor, as either the second guy um, off the off the bench as a defensive end, the primary stand-up edge rusher, or even first first string, um, or one more, I guess, Davis Warren, to potentially taking Alan Bowman's third string role. Certainly not the second string role from JJ McCarthy. Uh, I have not been sniffing glue this morning, so I know better than that but Davis Warren for the third string role. <laughs> yeah, taking Bowman's third string job. I mean, he's not going to take Cade McNamara's backup job, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. We'll get there. So of those nominees, I've also like we already talked about him ad nauseum. Mike Sainer still, he's going to steal some minutes from somebody there, whether it be Gamon Green or whomever at corner. He's in that category as well. But just so we can talk about him a little bit more, uh, let's go with Kaleo Mullings here because no one, there was nothing, no rumblings about him moving to running back. And he was fantastic in this game, like hitting the edge. I had no idea he had that kind of speed. And with Michigan's track record of converting linebackers to running backs, I mean, a la Hassan Haskins, the best running back since Mike Hart, this has to like have everyone's attention in the locker room. I'm kind of surprised that you went with Kalel Mullings over the guy that I thought was running away with this in TJ Guy. Now, maybe it's TJ Guy because we don't exactly know where TJ Guy is going to play. He's listed as a defensive end. He's 6'5". He lined up in a couple places, was definitely lined up as a, a linebacker in that weird 3-4 um, position. But I'm okay with it because we don't exactly know what they're going to do with TJ Guy. Um, so yeah, Kalel Mullings as potentially a guy that could unseat Tavi Dunlap. You and I both like Tavi Dunlap a lot and think that he brings a really good change of pace to the third, um, your third running back there. But Kalel Mullings showed a little something. He's got more burst than I thought. He's got more vision than he thought. And you know that he's built for it, like you just mentioned, being a, a another linebacker conversion like Hassan Haskins. So I'm okay with that award, but I, I was kind of thinking you'd go TJ Guy here as a guy that certainly looks like he's going to play minutes and he's taking them from someone. I just don't know if it'll be on defensive end or it'll be at linebacker. TJ coming on like he is, we can call him TJG. Like we're all friends here. 
Uh, his emergence is one of the most important, I will say, for this roster, just because the linebacker depth, you and I have talked about this a lot, <clears throat> is very suspect. So his emergence as a key player in that unit is one of the biggest bolsters to this team. Yeah, he's a guy definitely to watch. And uh, we'll say split vote here because I think that's a guy that's maybe if if what we saw at the spring game is accurate and they move him to linebacker, that's a guy that could take some touches away from somebody else that was started this season listed as a linebacker. So uh, I'm, I'm in very interested more so to see what they do with this guy. He seems versatile and a guy in that four, three under three, four type of defense really, really could be impactful. So just want to talk about TJ guy. All right. Next award dude who is actually an alien award for the fastest or most athletic looking guy who you got on this. I think this is a bit of a short list. It is a very short list. I'm going to give you three nominees and let you take your pick of the selection here. So I'm going to give you A.J. Henning, whom when he caught the ball a few times in this game and took the reverses, just looked like a lightning bolt. His stride is deceiving, kind of has... Uh, who is that receiver from 2016? Not Amara Darbo. Chesson? Um, Jehu Chesson? Yes. Yes, he has that chess and stride where he's deceivingly just lightning fast. So you have A.J. Henning here. You have Blake Corum, who we all know is just built like a bowling ball and runs even faster. And I'm going to give you one more just because I know you're a cornerback guy. I'm going to give you a D.J. Turner. I really like that. I would have accepted uh, Will Johnson, too. But we really didn't get to see Will Johnson run full out or Keon Sab. But those dudes, uh, they look like athletic marvels. I'm going to go with A.J. Henning here. Uh, Blake Corum is close, though, because that dude's zero to 60 is as fast as we've seen at the running back at Michigan. He can go from standing still in the backfield to running at near full speed and still make those cuts. I mean, it really shows when you're up there um, and you're as close to the field as we were. It's so much different than watching it on TV or being back in the 60th row when you're up there on in row four. I mean, it pops. But I'm going to go with A.J. Henning for this one. But man, Blake Corum is a no. I talked myself out of it. I'm going Blake Corum. I've got another award for A.J. Henning. I'm I'm flipping and flopping all over the place here. I'm going Corum. I love that. That's how like close it was. You and I were talking during the game, like who's fastest. Like we didn't get too much of a glimpse at Roman Wilson's breakaway speed, nor Donovan Edwards, but those guys are certainly in the mix. But man, when Quorum takes an edge, it's it's his edge. He takes it and separates as quick as anybody I've ever seen at Michigan. Yeah, I talked myself out of it because of the size of Blake Corum as well. And as I was saying it, I was like, yeah, AJ Hunting looks like the fastest guy, but Blake Corum for being 200 pounds as well, over 200 pounds, like that shouldn't happen. This dude was designed in a laboratory. Yeah, and he's condensed. Like he's like a very sizable package at five foot eight at a generous five eight. And the way he gets up to speed, he puts on a few more pounds. He's pushing in that uh, Maurice Jones Drew territory. So that's what he looked like in person, except faster. That's a man that lifts with vigor. Um, all right, let's move on to the next award here. And that is the uh, guy who actually ate another guy award for the dude that just glowed up. Uh, this offseason and looks like he maybe ate another player and put on a ton of weight, ton of bulk. Uh, there's a couple guys that stood out here. The first guy is uh, definitely Mike Morris. That guy is a first guy off the bus type of dude. Uh, Ole Oluwatame, the center, uh, number 55, the transfer from Virginia. 
Uh, I didn't really know much about him last year, but being up close next to that guy, that guy looks like a professional football player now. Uh, have to do a special mention of Rod Moore because the entire night or the entire afternoon we spent thinking that uh, Derek Moore was Rod Moore and he had changed numbers. Derek Moore is 6'4". So we spent uh, half of this game thinking Rod Moore had grown like three, four inches and put on 60 pounds. We're like, this doesn't make sense. We need to call a scientist. Somebody needs to look at this guy. And then uh, my last nominee is Makari Page because, man, at 6'3", and he filled out a little bit. That looks like a football player. So who who you got for the guy who actually ate another guy award? As much as I want to give it to Rod Moore here, because until he started like, like, why is Rod Moore playing at the line of scrimmage? What is he, the honey badger now? Except he's like the honey bear. <laughs> I get you. It was just making no sense. So that was so much fun. And like in the second quarter, we're like, no, that's that's Derek Moore. He's a freshman. Like, oh, OK, we're done. But also Derek Moore, massive for a freshman. Let that be on the record. Um, I like that you put Olay on here. I am tempted to go with Makari Page because that's one I almost forgot about. He's really filled out on his frame, really developed into himself. That was the thing when he played a lot in 2020. He just looked very twiggy as a safety. So now he's really filling out. Expect him to be a player this year. But I'm going to go with Mike Morris because that was the first person you and I saw. And we were like, damn, that is a monster of a human. I would not want to be in his path. Like He has like this Aiden Hutchinson size to him and aggression to his game as well. So it translated first guy off the bus and first guy off the line of scrimmage on that defensive line. I totally agree with you. Uh, also probably should have mentioned Ryan Hayes in this category. Hayes is the tallest guy on the offensive line. Looks like a starting left tackle should look. He's going to be really good, but it's Mike Morris. And I think maybe running away. This is a dude that we had heard about recently and we were kind of skeptical because like, there's no way this is the next Aiden Hutchinson. But you look at his body and you get up there close and you're like, mother of God, this is a dragon that has been unleashed on some unsuspecting French town in like the 1500s. He's, he's not going to be stopped by your average human being. He put on some serious weight. He filled out that frame. Huge fan of defensive ends with cornrows. I know that that is completely aesthetic and has nothing to do with anything, but it just looks like he's out to destroy your world and then the world of maybe any children you might have. I'm here for Mike Morris. That dude ate another guy. Mike Morris suffers from bad name syndrome where he just has like a bland name like Mike Morris. Like I feel like this guy is just going to like try to force a Traeger grill on me or something when I'm just trying to get out of Lowe's. But yeah, he is just a mountain of a man, just a dragon, a fire breather out there. And I'm, I've totally bought into all the hype just seeing him in person this season so far. Yeah, Mike Morris and Alan Bowman sound like franchisees of like a supercut somewhere out in Oregon or something. It's not not really intimidating names, but uh, you won't catch me saying that to Mike Morris to his face because just his look could probably kill me. Um, all right, let's get to the next award here. The next award is the dude, you're at least 30. This is the award for freshman that looks like a grown ass man. You kind of already uh, put the lead out here. The, the nominees, though, starting with Derek Moore. Darius Clemens, who caught a touchdown pass in this one. Um, Will Johnson, Keon Sapp. Uh, anybody I'm missing there as far as freshmen that look? Oh, Mason Graham. Mason Graham. Yeah, Mason Graham's a good addition here. But yeah, I kind of went with the lead with Derek Moore, and I think he wins it here. 
But you know, Will Johnson, for as tall as he is, I believe he's 6'3", looked every bit of it. And Sab as well looked filled out with his frame, which is kind of surprising for somebody that's only been on campus for a few months here. So those guys deserve recognition. I anticipate other players like Zeke Berry will come in with the same kind of frame. But um, no, it's it's Derek Moore. Like Colson Loveland can still put on like 45 pounds and still be fast and a monster. But Derek Moore legitimately looks like he's been in the weightlifting program there for three years. Derek Moore was one of the big gets on the recruiting trail. Kind of forgot about him. Also suffers from mediocre name syndrome, but not mediocre form or physicality because that dude, not only just his body, but the way that he moves out on the field, 6'4", 250 pound guy out of Baltimore. This dude is going to be a problem. I mean, just body, just going on his body would be one thing, but I really like the way that he was able to move and his athleticism popped in this game. I think this is running away the winner of the dude you're at least 30 award for grown ass freshman. Hell, we thought he was Rod Moore for a quarter of the game. Like this guy's had to have been there for at least a year, maybe 10. I'm so glad we didn't hop on the twitter.com and start proclaiming that Rod Moore was going pro. He was going to, they're going to change the rule for him. Cause I'm like, if that's a safety, they're going to change football for this guy like he's gonna change the game but no it's a 6'4 250 pound defensive end but he's a freshman and uh he's gonna be a dude Derek Moore that's your winner for uh freshman that is certainly not a freshman next award the give me the damn ball award for dude that's going to eat up touches this year it's the spring game we're not going to overreact this has got to be AJ Henning right but maybe throw some special love to the tight ends which look like a really good group Donovan Edwards is going to get a million touches. We're not really breaking any new ground there. So I think for a guy that you're going to see just a big workload given to, I think it's AJ Henning. Am I missing somebody? Do you disagree? Who do you got? No, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's AJ Henning and Donovan Edwards. Those two are going to touch the ball so many times on offense. And a lot of, and then like the next trickle down would be tight ends. And then the next trickle down would be receivers. But it's in that order. Henning, man, they were going, they were targeting him again and again and again. And he dropped his first uh, possible reception and then didn't drop anything after that. The catch was too easy. He only makes hard catches. He's like Mikey Sainer still out there. Like, that, Don't give me that easy ones. Just give me the hard ones. I've got nothing to add. Uh, no notes. That is exactly correct. Just watch for A.J. Henning to be a, a big player on this offense in a multitude of ways. All right, next award. The Aiden Hutchinson Award for Breakout Performance. Uh, I got a couple guys here. Um, it was difficult to gauge the offensive line. So if we're excluding offensive line in some of these, I apologize. It's just when you break up the offensive line, it's so much harder to see like how an individual guy is. Um, I really liked what I saw from Zach Zinter. I really like what I saw from Ryan Hayes. Uh, Ole is going to be a dude, um, but it, it's just a little bit more difficult. So for award for breakout performance, I've got Mozzie Smith. I've got Mike Morris, I've got Mike Sainra still, I've got A.J. Henning, and then I've got Davis Warren. But uh, Davis Warren, or Warren Davis, excuse me. No, Davis Warren, I said it right the first time. No, uh, Davis Warren. Yeah, a little bit of asterisk on that. So we're talking about a guy that's going to break out for the Michigan team that you're going to see this year um, that also showed you something at the spring game. So who you got for the breakout performance? That's also going to lead to a breakout performance in the fall. So I want to give him some shine since we haven't really spoke on his name a lot in this podcast. And that's Mozzie Smith. 
he was a mountain walking out there, but in a good way. Like he looked a little leaned up, a little tighter, was very fast off the ball and was wreaking havoc on the interior. Watching he and Ole go at it was fantastic and just, I mean, premier matchup in this spring game. And yeah, I think it's going to be Mozzie Smith. And he has a case to be top one, top two best player on this defense in the fall. I'm with you, man. Mozzie Smith's going to have a big year. I am super confident about him being a, an absolute dude for us. I'm more confident about Mike Morris having this big year like they were talking about. I think that is going to be a thing. How about uh, two more that I just thought of? Colston Loveland as a guy that, you know, we've got a pretty deep tight end room, but a guy that showed something here that's probably going to get used a little bit. Um, and then is Darius Clemens maybe just a little bit too on the nose, but we got to talk about him in one of these categories. So wanted to mention those two. I feel like both freshmen just suffer from like depth chartitis where they're just, it's just too deep right now. Like no matter what they do, like they can have their moments, but it's so hard to put them over somebody like Mozzie Smith, who's going to play the bulk of the snaps at defensive tackle. But that was very pleasant to see from both of them that they're going to be dudes and they want to get them on the field sooner than later. I'm with you. I totally agree. I think Darius Clemens has a better chance of getting out onto the field sooner rather than later, even though the, the receiver room is absolutely stacked. But the tight end, you're also being asked to do other things. You're being asked to protect the quarterback, being able to, you know, help on run blocking in run blocking situations. So it's going to be tough for Colston Loveland to work his way in too much. But if he's just out there to catch pa passes, I, I absolutely really could see him doing that. And then Darius Clemens, man just the rich getting richer at wide receiver. That dude is definitely going to be a player, but you hit the nail right on the head. It's just a matter of depth chart. I mean, who are you taking catches from CJ? I mean, it, it, it's really benefiting you to have a guy like CJ out there in a year like this, a guy that knows how to do the little things. So something worth watching. Clemens is going to be a player. I don't know if we'll see him a ton this year because you know, it, you can't forget about Andrew Anthony who came in and did the same thing last year. And he's just a sophomore. And Andrew Anthony probably doesn't see the field unless Ronnie Bell doesn't get hurt. So don't forget Ronnie Bell's coming back. Oh, my God. Yeah, you and I seeing him on the sidelines. We had to keep reminding ourselves that he's on this team. So with Ronnie Bell coming back, yeah, it's it's just going to be difficult for either guy. So I like the pick of Mozzie Smith. Mike Morris definitely coming for you as well. Um, I also want to throw one more shout out to Braden McGregor. This is the first time I've seen him do anything. And I think he is going to have a better year, but. The fact that he's probably coming off the bench, um, he's pro he's in your two deep, but he's not your starter. I, I don't know if that makes him a disappointment. What are your thoughts on Braden McGregor? Just like your 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 quick uh, footnotes here. Braden McGregor is going to play, but I do agree with you. This is the first time I've seen him do anything worth like like speculating on other than breathe. So this is definitely a welcome plus for this unit. Add some depth with Taylor Upshaw, Jalen Harrell, those guys out there. So you know, he's going to be a factor. I think he's going to have his moments this season, but I think most of the time it's going to come in a relief duty. I agree. I don't see him overtaking anybody in of the starters. So uh, two more awards, the Luigi Villain truther award for the guy that you liked for no reason and are still riding high on. Um, I have two of them that I saw in this spring game and one of them I am for sure I'm just furthering my my belief in it and the other one um, I'm a little bit uh, on the fence on but I like and the first one that I'm absolutely sold on is Mason Graham defensive tackle freshman 
look, he has the body for it. Looks like the next Ryan Glasgow. And then Jordan Morant got to play a little bit in this one since they split up the safeties. I haven't given up on you, Jordan Morant. Still looks like a dog. Put on some weight. So those are my two for the Luigi Valane Truther Award. I still got those guys back. I want to give you two more. I want to give you Giovanni El Hadi, who looks like he's moved out to guard now. Looked massive out there, and I think he was repping with twos. And also, I will die for this man. I will cry for this man. We defend this man to our death. Greg Crippen. Crippen was just, you know, for no reason. He can do no wrong in my eyes. Like, even if he has bad takes, I'll be like, okay, you know, maybe you're right, Greg. Like, that's all you do. So, GC is just remains tier one in our book and repping with the twos, I believe, as well. So, God, love that kid. Look, there's an unsolved homicide outside of Reno, Nevada, related to someone talking ill of Greg Crippen. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too much into that. Just know that we ride for Greg Crippen here. We've got your back. So yeah, really pulling for Greg Crippen. Uh, and I love Giovanni El Hadi. That's a great pull on that one. Moving him to guard. That is a big guard. He has the body for it. Uh, didn't really show much. Like I said, it's super hard to evaluate offensive line in a game like this where. You're not playing with the strict ones or the strict twos, the guys they're going to be next to. But El Hadi looks like a player. All right, last award. This one should be pretty easy. The Dennis Norfleet 15 minutes of fame guy. Guy that really performed well in the spring game that we might not hear anything from again. Uh, I think that this one is pretty easily one guy. But uh, do you have any nominees you want to throw out there? I have the same one guy that you're thinking of as well. It'll be Central Michigan's starting quarterback, maybe as soon as 2022, but definitely in 2023, and that is Davis Warren. That's the guy. We're not going to go too deep into this, and I don't want to sit here and rag on the guy for having the best performance of any of the quarterbacks that day. There's no taking that away from him. He looked like the best quarterback that day. But if you think he's taking J.J. McCarthy's spot, you are melting down crayons in the oven and then eating them with your bare hands because it's doing something to your brain. The toxic levels of, of paint and lead uh, from whatever it is that you're doing in your free time. Maybe it's heroin. I don't know. It's getting to your head. There is absolutely no way Davis Warren is overtaking J.J. McCarthy. That is ludicrous. Pump the brakes. He might give Alan Bowman a run for third string. But I mean, is that something that we're really going to spend any more time on than this 30 second blurb? I hope not. No, of course we're not. And you keep saying McCarthy when you mean McNamara. I get it. Easy Freudian slip. It's okay. And do you no, think no, Alan I mean, Bowman not, threw for no. 600 yards? I'm, I mean, McCarthy, he's not taking the backup job from McCarthy. McCarthy I, oh, is number I know, two. I'm talking about. I mean, right now, but we'll see when fall gets here. You gotcha, see what I'm getting gotcha, at? Gotcha. <laughs> and Alan Bowman did not throw for 600 yards in the state of Texas for someone to just come take his job based off a of spring game. I'm going to leave that there. Davis Warren, hell of a job. I love to see it. You're a great fourth-string quarterback, and you're going to tear up the Mac someday. More power to you. I'm with you, and I don't want this to be an anti-Davis Warren you know, rant here. I think that that guy could absolutely go to a different program like Miami of Ohio or central Michigan or something and be a dude. Like he stands in the pocket. He looks down the field. He stands tall. I saw him get to at least his second read. Uh, I haven't gone back and grinded the Davis Warren tape to see if he's getting to his third read or how he moves his feet in the pocket. 
uh, I, I need to get a, I need to apply for jobs and go pick up my stuff in Denver. I got a lot going on. I can't be studying the four string quarterbacks tape that deeply, but a great day for him, but let's pump the brakes. He is not taking away the backup job from JJ McCarthy, who, when I say it like that, I'm saying JJ McCarthy is currently starting at the number two position. We don't know how that's going to shake out. But when I say taking the backup job, he's not moving into position two. The highest he can rise is position three on the depth chart. It's facts. No matter who's at position two, he's not going to challenge for it. Those two are head and shoulders above everybody else. But Davis Morton, glad you could show out a little bit, have your moment to shine. But we're spraying settle down juice more on a certain section of the fans than him. Yeah, mostly just on the people that were huffing paint thinking that uh, McCarthy's in trouble. But uh, all right, that's going to do it. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got some basketball talk. We'll uh, we'll look around all of the sports landscape and do a little bit of a sports snapshot. And then we've, of course, got to remove the goggles real quick. We'll be back right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We're going to kind of look around the sports landscape, starting with Michigan basketball in the second half of this podcast, because we actually have some news there. Brandon Johns has entered the transfer portal, finishes his career with averages of 3.8 points per game, 2.3 rebounds per game, had a 20-point outburst in December, if you remember that, in a win over Nebraska. That was his career high. But in 10 games this year, failed to score. And he did not score one point in the NCAA tournament. What do you think about the legacy of Brandon Johns? What does this do for the roster next year? It's a legacy of missed potential. I don't want to say it was wasted because he had several opportunities, but he just never rise to it. And he just kind of slowly got eaten up and just like it's an attrition issue on the roster I think this bodes well for Hunter Dickinson and Musa Diabate returning we saw Dickinson at the spring game I don't think he'd be attending if he was leaving for the NBA well that is what it is but no I think this is Terrence Williams emerging and with the incoming class of freshmen I think he saw the writing on the wall could be both. Do you think there's anything to this about the negativity that was kind of put on his name throughout this season and even in seasons past, but definitely coming in the NCAA tournament, there was a lot of vitriol in the direction of Brandon Johns. Do you think that could have anything to do with this? 
I think it could have a small impact on this, but most of these players are so just tune most of that noise out and just really focus on the task at hand. I think what really added to this was that he continuously shot the ball in the loss against Villanova and didn't make any of them. He had the green light of Steph Curry and the accuracy of you and I out there after a few beers. So, no, I think that had more to do with it than the vitriol online. I think you're absolutely right, but uh, don't discredit how decent we can be, at least in our minds, after six, seven, eleven beers out there. You know, we're we're nothing to scoff at. But Brandon Johns, it's complicated to to really figure out his legacy when you think about this, because he's never had that moment where you know, say the Jordan Poole moment. You know, nothing even close to that. Even though Jordan Poole, we thought left a year early. Sean Day Brown you know, left a year early, but had some really great moments for us. Brandon Johns isn't going to have that kind of legacy, but I wanted to talk to you about what this means for the roster now, because you've got some minutes now at the four, the backup four position that are going to open up. We believe that all three guys are coming back. Maybe assume one guy goes. And by three guys, we're talking about Hunter Dickinson, Caleb Houston, and Musa Diabate. So now you've got to bring in the, those freshman guys, a potential transfer. What do you think that this John's move does for minutes next season? How do you see this playing out? I think this is addition by subtraction. It kind of helps break up the log jam a little bit there so you can get some of the freshmen involved. So say you get all three back and you have the three, four, and five returning. You have Terrence Williams coming off the bench. You have Jace Howard possibly playing some small minutes there. And then you have the incoming freshman class with four guys that are four versatile guys, I should add, that are coming in of Terrace Reed at 6'10", Jed at 6'7", more of a – he could probably play both ways, more of a guard though in my, my estimation, and a – four-star power forward in Greg Glenn, with the most unfortunate name in basketball. But with those guys coming in, I think it's going to kind of disperse that log jam that Brandon Johns would have added to. I think so too. And, uh, you know, not to just echo you, but I think it is addition by subtraction because you've got to open up some room here for at least one of these guys. All the dudes you just mentioned are four stars. Terrace Reed being the highest rated of them. He's 6'10". Now he's listed at a center, but you're telling me that guy couldn't play some minutes at the four. I think that this opens things up for him, a guy that we're going to want to see early on. He's too good to just sit on the bench the entire time. I love what you said about Jet Howard. You see Jet Howard more as a guard. Can you expand on that a little bit? Just from watching his ball handling in high school and the need for guard at Michigan, I think he can come in. You know he's already been working with his father. I mean, kind of has that leg up on everybody. And there's such a need for a two guard at Michigan. If you could add a two guard at six, seven, Ooh. it really mitigates the need for a taller point guard here. So maybe the Frankie Collins like height thing is not such a disadvantage for Michigan. Oh, baby, just went from six to midnight there. You're talking about a six, seven, four star Jet Howard coming in and playing the two guard. That is fascinating, and I wasn't that far off when I watched him because we did one of these, I mean, it was less than a year ago, maybe seven, eight months ago, where we talked about Jed Howard. I listed him as a guard. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy plays like a guard. Now, he grew quite a bit in his senior year, and he's getting closer to his father's height, but at 6'7", a guy with guard skills, that is very intriguing to me. So you've got to open up some room for him, and it's, it's very interesting because we have a very switchable lineup now. Could Terrence Howard play some, or excuse me, Terrence Williams, could he play some four in your estimation? 
Terrence Williams could absolutely play some four, especially the way he can stretch the ball with his improved jumper, which we can safely say is going to continue to get better this next season. So with the versatility these freshmen bring in, create all kinds of lineups if the big three in the front court all return. I'm with you. I think this could be an extremely versatile group. It's going to be a very young group, but you're going to have some leadership out there, especially if Dickinson comes back. Now, having Dickinson be your senior, I mean, he'll be a junior, but having him be your elder statesman and your your leader, I have a little bit of concern about that, but there's just a lot of other guys with talent here. A lot of guys that can be very versatile, that can switch. You're going to have one of the most switchable defenses in the country with Frankie Collins there at the point. Uh, just being an absolute dog leading that attack along with Musa Diabate. It's it's a very, very interesting lineup and one that I'm excited to see, man. I'm, I'm very excited to see what they come out with next year and what they're able to do. Uh, suffice to say, next year's ceiling higher than this year's ceiling. Do you agree? I do agree if the front court all returns and not to mention the transfer portal is very, very fertile with talent with the Texas Tech kid entering all of LSU's entire team entering Doug Eater and uh, three of the St. Peter's players entering, although it seems that they might be going to Seton Hall for obvious reasons. But there's a lot of talent out there. And with this incoming freshman class, I think the ceiling could be very, very high for Michigan next year. I would love to go get. Doug Edert as a backup guard, like shooting it. We could definitely use a true two that's over six foot in height. That would be awesome. But I'm with you. I think that uh, the makings are in place. This could be a very good team. Uh, they did the uh, the early preseason projections for next year. This was on CBS Sports. We are the highest rated Big Ten team in the way too early preseason projections. They put us at 12. I think that sounds about right. Preseason projections mean absolutely nothing, but if you're just looking at the talent on this team, what we did in the NCAA tournament, there's definitely reason to be excited. Yeah, Michigan is worthy of a top 15 spot, but not a top 10 spot. Yep, I'm with you there. Uh, Got to take a moment. Let's talk about home field apparel. Was rocking it at the spring game this last week, and I'm going to be rocking it all summer long, even though the Michigan sports are starting to dwindle. My love for home field apparel does not. They've got you covered with new school, old school designs. Uh, I think my favorite has to be my T-shirt with the Wolverine that looks like he's a sailor out of 1932 for obvious reasons. But you can get 20% off your first purchase with home field apparel when you go to uh, homefieldapparel.com. Use the code MNB. All right, brother, we're going to go rapid fire around a bunch of different topics here. Um, Let's go Michigan basketball in the NBA to start it. Uh, Last night, Iggy Brazdakis, we're recording this on Wednesday, so this was on Tuesday night. Iggy Brazdakis, a fan favorite and absolute villain, comes on the floor for Orlando, who already has both the Wagner brothers. Teske's been there this year. The Orlando Wolverines puts up 26-2. and That is 20.6 rebounds, two assists. And then Xavier Simpson, Captain Hook, goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder in a comeback win. Ten points, five assists, three rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. Looks like an absolute warrior out there, the 5'10 guy. He is now the 11th player from that national championship game, the 17-18 national championship game, to play in an NBA game. Charles Matthews, not among them. All right, I toss you all of that information. Go ahead. Your turn. Go. 
<laughs> a lot of teams are tanking right now, so guys that haven't gotten opportunities before are now getting them. Hence, Xavier Simpson on the 10-day contract, or as he's better known here as Jeff Jackson. Uh, this is awesome. This is proving that he does belong and can play serviceable minutes, maybe as an 8th, ninth, 10th man in the NBA. And you and I said it when Brozdakis left. He is too young to go. Like he is just like he needs another year here to develop. And it would have like really like voted well for him. But to see that he can still put up 20 right now in the NBA, I believe he's only like 21, 22 years old. Very, very young. So I think the ceiling's a little higher for him with his size and everything given. But man, just a great night to be a Wolverine fan and see these two get some shine. Especially if you're an absolute dog of an NBA fan and you're still digging into Orlando Magic and Oklahoma City Thunder games this deep into the season when the tank is in full effect. Uh, you're absolutely right. Iggy Braz still has the much higher ceiling just you know by the fact that he's much, much taller than Xavier Simpson and probably has a better stroke, but it's impossible to tell because a 5'10 guy, very difficult to get shots up on NBA players. Uh, Iggy Braz went into a terrible situation too, going to the Magic for both Franz and Iggy. Um, Franz, or excuse me, Iggy was actually drafted by New York, which isn't a, a ton better as far as uh, just continuity and, and being a part of a, a winning organization. But they are still showing something, even in Orlando. So that's got to be encouraging. Uh, the second part of that, though, is I don't know how, how so many people from that 17-18 championship game have played. And Charles Matthews, yet to play a minute in the NBA. What is that about? Because I thought Charles Matthews, 6'5", 6'6", guard that can shoot and play, you know, some defense for you and can shoot the three ball. I thought that would be a shoo-in for some minutes in the NBA. What's the deal there? Yeah, formerly recruited by Kentucky before he transferred to Michigan when players still had to sit out a year of transferring as well. It, very strange. Very, very strange. You and I were speculating offline. It has to be something with a bad medical, maybe get banged up too much. Something has to be there because on the court for Charles Matthews and off the court just personally, like all things check out. Like just all the boxes you need for a guy and a winning player. So it has to be something behind the scenes with medical or anything like that. That's the only plausible reason I can think of. I'm with you, man, because Xavier Simpson, God bless him. Jeff Jackson, excuse me, pardon my French. Uh, that is a dude that we absolutely love and Michigan faithful really appreciate, but doesn't really have much of a place in the NBA. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see if Charles Matthews can find his way to a roster. Uh, it's got to be medicals. I think you're absolutely right there. All right, moving on, uh, UNC versus Kansas. Uh, Villanova, the team that took us out, was upset in this whole thing. It ends up being UNC versus Kansas. Did you watch that? What are your thoughts on the national championship game? I did watch it. My girlfriend is a diehard North Carolina fan, obviously now a Michigan fan as well, because she has no choice if she wants to live with me. Correct. But I watched the game. It was very, very good. I thought it was more of uh, Kansas coming back than Carolina collapsing. It didn't like some of the shots towards the end, but I'm glad it was a close game. It was fun. It's good to watch a team like Kansas. That's one of the weaker teams to win a national title in recent memory with probably no lottery players that maybe Obaji, but he didn't play exceptionally well. It was just a good, cohesive team. And watching these guys battle out to the end made it worth it. It was an enjoyable watch and a fun game. 
I liked watching it because I was trying to figure out what does Michigan need to get to a place like this? And I think you really hit it there. We don't need much. I think that we need to keep some guys around. We can't just be reliant on one or two year players that are just trying to get to the NBA. You do need to have seniors. You do need to have guys that have been around the block that can really be a calming presence out there. Kansas had a lot of that. Uh, UNC didn't have a ton of that. UNC is a fascinating case study for what it takes to get to the championship game. I don't really understand how they were able to go on this run. They have a lot of guys that play in their role, a lot of talent. It's UNC. They recruit very well, but guys like Baycott and Brady Manick, you know, they're not necessarily going to light it up at the next level. Um, So it was interesting to look at, and it makes me think that Michigan isn't too far away if things bounce our direction. Yeah, and the transfer portal here's the biggest winner because Remy Martin from Arizona State comes into this game, makes a huge impact, and Brady Manick transfers from Oklahoma to UNC and has a huge impact all season. I agree. Who do you think, or excuse me, what position should Michigan go after the the hardest in the transfer portal this year? Because I we're going after somebody. You can bet your bottom dollar we're going after somebody. What position do we need, and what would you like to see out of that position for Michigan basketball? Easily the two guard or a creative three, one that create his own shot, get in the lane, give him some troubles because Caleb Houston is not coming along quite as fast as much all of us would have hoped. And the two guard, they're just a massive void. We need a big like six four, six five two guard that can handle, create, and shoot the ball. I'm with you. I'm going to go with the two guard above of that because I'm still still holding out hope for Caleb Houston. If Caleb Houston doesn't show up, our depth at forward with Terrence Williams sitting right behind him, bringing in Jet Howard, bringing in Terrace Reed, bringing in uh, Greg Glenn, which really is an unfortunate name. Him and Alan Bowman sound like they're franchisees of like a Pisanello's pizza somewhere out in, in Oregon. I don't like it. Uh, neither one's really jumping off the page, but I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with like a six, four guard. If we can get that. I'm in. Yeah, that's the one missing piece and losing Eli Brooks, although he was six, one, a little undersized for the position and could do a ton of things for us. No Eli Brooks slander ever allowed on this podcast, but just having that secondary ball handler, the playmaker who also has a shot a la Sean day Brown should have come back. It would make the biggest difference for this team next season. I'm with you. All right, moving around in the sports snapshot. We are not doing our NFL mock draft this year. I was in Argentina. I was not about to be grinding tape of, you know, the 30th pick in this. Some guy that played Boston College offensive line while I was down in a different country. So in lieu of that, we'll just touch on it a little bit. Who is your player you are absolutely sold on in this NFL draft? Or who is someone that you think is a guaranteed bust? Or the player you like the best? Give me some thoughts from Andy Bailey on the NFL Draft 2022. I just want to dive into a couple different things here, and you can take it any direction you want. So Aiden Hutchinson is the top player. You take him because he is good for your culture. He's a winning player on the field. And I'm telling you right now, he's still getting better. Number two, my favorite quarterback in this class is Desmond Ritter. Any quarterback that can produce like he does on the field and also look up dirt on opponents so he can talk trash on the field, cares more about winning than anybody else on the team he's going to be drafted to. Number three, take Jordan Davis. 
fact, I don't care if he can only play 40 snaps a game. Those 40 snaps are critical, and he'll be fresh towards late in the season minutes in the playoffs, and that's when you really need that interior rush. And lastly, I am not high on Kayvon Thibodeau. Not for the reasons of he's got a lot of stuff going on off outside of the game where he's more interested in his brand. I don't really don't care about that. What I care about is you got your team got mollywopped in back-to-back weeks by Utah, and you did nothing to prevent that. That is a fantastic snapshot, sir. Way to get it in there under the time allotment. That is good stuff. Um, All right, my turn. Let's go with it. Aiden Hutchinson should be the first guy off the board, but if he goes to the Detroit Lions, I think that it changes everything, and it's going to bring this city together. It may uh, actually create the uh, – it may foster in the creation of a new era. We will be running on cold fusion. We will no longer rely on fossil fuels. Um, Basically – Peace will be achieved in the Middle East. I need to see that. I agree with your Desmond Ritter take. That is fantastic. I think Malik Willis has a higher ceiling. My favorite receiver in this class is actually Drake London, the USC guy. I can't quite get there on Ohio State, guys. I refuse to get there, but I get why people are in on Garrett Wilson. He's probably going to be a stud, but give me Drake London. I also like the Arkansas guy, Traylon Burks. Uh, This is a great offensive line class. Uh, There's a couple guys that I really like. I really think that whoever gets Andrew Stuber's getting a guy. And my last point will be wherever Dax Hill is drafted, it's going to end up being too low. Dax Hill, I've gotten higher on and higher on as an NFL guy. That dude is going to be great. He needs to go into the right situation. Now, he can't go to like, uh, I, I don't know, the Giants probably would be the worst place that he could go. Somebody that someplace that doesn't know how to utilize his talents. But Dax Hill's going to be lined up all over the field. I think that the NFL level, at the next level, that is a guy that you really want for the modern offense is a guy that you could line up on the line at times, at linebacker at times, or in the secondary. Um, Sauce Gardner might be my favorite player in this draft, though. Uh, Is that because of his name or because of his play? It is both. It is absolutely both. Sauce Gardner is six foot. He does not have really a flaw on tape other than like, well, he's going up against mediocre opponents. But you get to see him against Notre Dame. You get to see him in bowl games. Sauce Gardner has plenty of good tape against really high level opponents. I am all in on Sauce Gardner. I love that take. I like what you said about Dax and Stuber. And I also want to say Hassan Haskins, whoever takes Hassan Haskins is getting a dude. He is a guy that could creep up the depth chart and be a steal in the middle rounds because we all know running backs have been devalued in the NFL, but it's really nice to see a guy that can still get three yards in a cloud of dust. Every time he touches the ball, he's always falling forward. Ball security is not an issue. Hassan Haskins, it's, it's no surprise coming from me is just my ultimate sleeper in the middle rounds here. Just when Chase Winovich fell, you and I were all over that. It's going to be Haskins when he starts to fall because it's going to happen because of his position. Brother, I'm with you, and we've been a little bit off on running backs in the past because I think we're close to the situation. We're just like, look, man, I watched him. I watched him the entire year. I watched Karan Higdon. That guy can play at the next level. I still think he went to a horrible situation, but this is not a Karan Higdon situation. Hassan Haskins is 100% ready for the next level. I mean, he would have won every award that we just gave out this year, like other than the freshman awards for just being the most imposing looking guy at a spring game. When you go look, when you behold, you don't even look at Hassan Haskins, you behold him. 
and you realize that this dude is built like a, the statue of Anubis in the mummy movie. Like he's not to be trifled with. This dude is going to get numbers at the next level. I'm with you there. I'd take him in the fourth. My son Haskins take an evaluation of his entire career and what he's going to mean in the NFL. I'm going to quote the smartest person I know. Dog. That's what Haskins is. I rest my case. Say less. That's all I need to know. All right. Uh, we've got two more things we want to hit on. First, I need you to remove the goggles, my friend. It's your turn. Take them off. Tell us what we need to hear. All right. Gather around, children. So I want to dive into the spring game. You and I are excited about it. We've talked about things. We've like, learned from the past in a few games. But you notice after years and years of doing this podcast and years of observing spring games and attending a few that we mentioned maybe three things, maybe three things that we learned that were really concrete and gave way to the future. Guys, this is a spring game. It's a glorified practice. Hell, it counts as a practice. It's one of those days. That's all it is. You can take one or two things at the most and maybe even then, like the second one might be too far. The overreactions have been out outrageous online it's it made us laugh afterwards when we got out of the stadium we were looking at twitter and just kind of gauging the pulse of fans like man man look at this look at this i get it we're excited we're fans you're allowed to be overreact a little bit but people talking about death chart movement based off one practice is just patently absurd all of the takes were out all over the place guys it's one practice that's all it is like take it for what it is just pure enjoyment try to look at the positives here that's what we did we went back handed out some awards for good things we didn't sit there and just like look at the negative and scoff at all the like things out there it's it's fun it's supposed to be but please for the love of god and all that is holy settle down with the finality in your takes a great point. It's not that dissimilar from watching preseason football or um, G League basketball and getting really excited about your fourth round pick that is just tearing it up against six round picks and guys that are, you know have never played before in their entire lives. It's easy to get excited. I get it. You should be, but let's temper it. And I want to follow up your your point there. Give me three things that you learn that are concrete three things that might be true and three things that are not true after this spring game. And then we're going to call. All right. Three things that are. All right. Three things that are true here. I'm going to dive in three things that are true. Number one, Mozzie Smith is a dude. He might be the best player on this defense is going to wreak havoc is going to be the best defensive tackle since Mo Hurst. Mark that in. I know that for a fact. Number two, DJ Turner is our best cornerback since David Long. Just lock that in. You may even take it a step further, but I'm not feeling that bold. I know he's as good as any corner since David Long. Number three, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are going to be problems in the backfield. We thought last year we could have two backs go for 1,000 yards, fell just short. This year we have another realistic shot at it, and I think we might get it unless – Edwards is too busy doing his damage catching the ball. Let's go. I love all of it. I've got three things that might be true. First thing that might be true. Mikey Sainer still might not only be a starting caliber cornerback. He might be a really good cornerback. This dude was getting his head around. He was stride for stride with every receiver. It's just spring game. That's what led into this. We understand. But Mikey Sainer still 
might be that dude. This might be true. Kalel Mullings might be something. Now, this could be recency bias with the Hassan Haskins switch from linebacker over to running back. But you and I were watching him. We're like, man, that's some burst. That's a little bit of vision like that second cut there. The cuts that you can make initially at the line are super important. He was making some pretty, pretty intuitive cuts early on right at the line. It might be true. Let me get you one more here. It might be true that Michigan's tight end depth is the best in the Big Ten. Uh, we like Eric All. We we saw him throw a touchdown pass in this one. Uh, we love what we've got with Scooney. We absolutely love that. Colston Loveland looks like a dude. Now you bring back Honiford, Scooney, and Eric All, and then you add Colston Loveland to that. I don't know who has four guys in the Big Ten better than that. Those are my three might-be-trues. All right, I'll take three things I know that are not true. And one's just a double-down of what we talked on earlier. I know that Davis Warren is not going to push for any position above a third-string role unless he wants to convert to fullback. All right. Number two thing I know that is absolutely not true off this spring game. Cade McNamara is not going to be this bad. Like, everyone just wanted to gloss over that. No one wants to bring it up. Cade McNamara was just objectively bad in this game. He's not going to play like that. You can't take one practice and magnify it and quantify it across an entire season. And, sir, I'll leave the last. I know this is not true for you. I know that this is not true. Give me 30 seconds to think about it. I'll edit this out, so don't worry about it. Um, the, th- the last thing that I know is not true. Uh, I know that it is not true that despite how you list him on a depth chart, Cornelius Johnson is not the best receiver on this team. I can't tell you who the best receiver on this football team is, but now we have had several years to compare ceilings to production to physical, like how they look on the field, to how they catch the ball. I've seen enough now to know that our best receiver is somebody else. And Cornelius Johnson might have a really solid season, but if he's your number one guy amongst these other dudes, it just means that somebody else hasn't stepped up. Somebody else hasn't learned the playbooks. Somebody isn't blocking the way that they should. Because I think Roman Wilson, uh, A.J. Henning, Andrew Anthony, Darius Clemens, and certainly... Ronnie Bell uh, all have a higher ceiling. So uh, if CJ is your number one wide out this year, it's something's going on with injury or, or something else. You and I jumped off the CJ train pretty, I would say early on, but earlier than most. And I like that they're feeding him. Maybe he shows more things in practice. If he becomes the number one, you know, Hey, love to eat some crow here. We do it all the time. Serve it up hot. And but if not, like I, I, we haven't seen it. We've had time and time again of seeing the big play. He has trouble getting separation. Has trouble cons- consistently catching the football. So he'd really have to take a tremendous step for it to happen. And nothing on Saturday proved contrary. I really feel I'm not going to be eating crow on this one. It's going to be somebody else. I mean, it's probably Ronnie Bell. The only thing keeping Ronnie Bell from being a lock here is, is he going to come back and be the same guy that he was pre-injury? That's literally it. If it's not him, then I'm probably leaning AJ Henning. I think that I'll go AJ Henning, but you can't quite make that leap until you see him do it in the actual season and not in the spring. 
in the spring game. So I'm with you, brother. Uh, any final thoughts on the spring game, basketball, anything else we've covered? Oh, Frozen Four tomorrow. Don't forget to tune in. Michigan, Denver. At, I guess when it comes out, it'll just be Thursday. So tonight, 5 o'clock, Denver is like Michigan light, play the same way, going to be high scoring. First hockey game of the year. This is a good one to get into. This is the number one scoring offense in the country in the Denver Pioneer. So Michigan's already knocked off the number one defense in Quinnipiac. Now we can knock off the number one offense. So they can be number one in both categories as long as we're number one at the end of the year. Frozen Four tomorrow or tonight, 5 o'clock. Who you got? Give me a prediction. Uh, I have Michigan in a high-scoring affair. I feel like this is the race to three goals. I think Michigan takes this one four to two. They tackle on one late. I just feel like it match up really well. They have one big defenseman, but other than that, they're undersized everywhere. Uh, Michigan just can't let off the gas in the third period. This Denver team is too potent, plays too whistle to whistle. So, gotta put this one. Gotta put them away early. Gotta keep them away. I expect a big, big Brendan Brisson, Matty Beneers game. I'm not breaking new ground saying it to Olympians, but those guys are going to score in this one. And Luke Hughes is the mismatch that nobody can account for. I was going to say, make sure you bring up Luke Hughes. I'm thinking big Luke Hughes game. I've got it 5-3, Michigan advancing. It's a great time to be a Michigan Wolverine, my friend. Tune in if you can. I have already checked ahead. I will be able to watch this game. I will be watching it tomorrow. Uh, which is today if you're listening to this and got to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh, participating in all of our Maize and Brew content. You can follow us on Twitter at Maize and Brew. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it is Spotify, Apple Music or wherever. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go. Okay.